Good morning, church. Happy New Year to you. Trust you're doing okay. You know, the world's kind of dark right now, maybe even getting darker. I have good news for you. You ready? Jesus Christ is alive. He's alive and well. Yes, he is. He's not only alive and well, but he's sitting on the throne of the universe, reigning as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's sovereign over all that exists. That includes your life, my life, our lives. He's in control. He's got us. He's got you. You're going to make it. And we can always testify, no matter the circumstances, conditions, the seasons, the times, the best is yet to come. Because our God is a good God, and he's promised to finish the work that he began in us. And so you can be encouraged today. No matter where you are, no matter what you're facing, God is with you, and you're going to make it. Are you listening? You be encouraged today in Jesus' name. All right. Happy New Year. And if you've joined us online today, welcome to you. We're so thrilled you're with us. Welcome, welcome to church. I want to begin a series of messages for the next uh, several weeks on the subject of secrets of the kingdom of God. Now, I say secrets uh, not because they're hidden, but they're actually hidden in plain sight. These are secrets of the kingdom that you either learn over time, walking with God and practicing your faith, and you, you learn what God tends to bless and favor and encourage, and those things that don't work out so well. And so you begin to learn these principles, these secrets, if you will, as you go along. Another way you can, you can learn them is to hear it from someone who's already learned them, like me. I've walked with Jesus now I'm over 50 years, and I've learned some things about God's blessing. And I want to share those things that I've learned with you because I want you to be blessed. I want your life to be blessed. I want your, your relationships to be blessed, your families, your work, everything you put your hands to. I want you to be blessed. And I want to teach you some of these secrets these principles, if you will, that I have learned over the next several weeks that I hope will add value and blessing to your life. If you have your Bibles today, we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 28. Today's message is very simple. God must be first. God must be first. And as we begin a new year, this is a, this is a perfect moment to get the right priority and perspective. And so Deuteronomy chapter 28, I'm going to read the first 15 verses there our custom is to stand to hear God's word, so I invite you to do so as you're able. Thank you for that. Verse 1, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You'll be blessed in the city, blessed in the country. The fruit of your, your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. How many of you like this so far? Are you, receive this. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he has given you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people, as he promised you an oath. 
if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him, then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, the crops of your ground, and the land he swore to your ancestors to give you. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but will not borrow from them. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. Then one more verse. We have to add verse 15 for perspective. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. And then the list of curses follow. May the God of heaven, the God who has given authority to his word, his promise is sure and true, and amen. May he bless the reading of his word and our hearing it. Amen. You may be seated. Let me give you a definition of blessing. Blessed means having supernatural power working for you. Supernatural power working for you. How many of you want that? Yeah, yeah. Please, with me. Please, beside me. Please, behind me. Please, in front of me. I want to be blessed. To be cursed, on the other hand, and there are people in our world who are cursed. There are families that are cursed. There are nations that are cursed. This is the supernatural power working against you. Supernatural powers working against you. A curse. You want to avoid the curse at all costs. Let me give you a few verses as we begin these thoughts today. Deuteronomy 14, 29. It says, bring in the tithe. So that, you see, the, see that, those two words, so that. There's motivation behind it. There's rationale behind it. There's, there's benefit that comes from it. Bring in the tithe so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the aliens, immigrants and such, the fatherless, orphans, widows who live in your towns, may come and eat and be satisfied. And so that, another benefit, the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So you see all kinds of needs being met and God blessing you in general when, when you're generous. Deuteronomy 15.10, give generously to him. Now the context here is your needy brother and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. How many of you like that promise? Isn't that a beautiful promise? Everything you put your hand to will be blessed, will have the power of God with you. That's amazing. One more verse, Deuteronomy 23, 20, you may charge a foreigner interest, but not a brother Israelite. In other words, righteous business practices, godly principles, so that, why, why do you practice those? So that the Lord your God may bless you in everything you put your hand to in the land you are entering to possess. So these blessings are promised from God, Almighty God, to his people. Now, here's something that we have to be in touch with. I'll just say it out loud. We're all aware of it, but I'll say it out loud. 
no one of us, not one of us, is a natural-born giver. We are all natural-born takers. In fact, our default at the core of our fallen nature as human beings, our our default, our go-to is to do the wrong thing rather than the right thing. We lean the wrong way. We're bent the wrong direction. And at the core of that is selfishness. Now, we can just own that because it's true for all of us. We all just naturally find selfishness to be a go-to. Now, contrast that with God. God is not selfish at all. In fact, God is a giver. Probably the most famous or understood or recognized verse of the Bible is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he, he gave his one and only son. So, so God is a giver. And what I want to do today is I want to point to one of these secrets that is in plain sight, hidden in plain sight for anyone to see, anyone to practice, that will provoke the blessing of God, that will invite the supernatural power of God for you, on your side. And it's a very simple principle that many people miss, but I want to share it with you this morning in three parts. The first that's on your outline is this, and it's called the firstborn. Firstborn. Look on the screen at Exodus 13. Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. That you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb. That is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. Now, what is, what is going on here? According to the Old Testament law, the firstborn was to either be sacrificed to the Lord or redeemed. Some other animal has to die in its place. So every firstborn has to be sacrificed or redeemed. There was no third option. Well, we'll just skip that process this time. No, no other options. Every time one of your livestock animals delivered its firstborn, you were to either sacrifice it or if it was designated unclean, you had to redeem it with a clean, spotless lamb. John the Baptist was baptizing folks one day in the wilderness and Jesus came walking right toward him. And John looked at Jesus coming and he pointed to him. He said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And in this moment, uh, John's declaration, he perfectly defined the role Jesus had come to fulfill. Jesus was God's firstborn. Jesus was clean, perfect, unblemished in every way. On the other hand, every one of us is unclean and full of blemishes. We were all born sinners with a fully active sin nature, and you see the symbolic parallel. Jesus Christ was God's firstborn son, and he was born clean. He was born a pure, spotless lamb, but every one of us was born unclean. Therefore, Jesus was sacrificed to redeem us. He literally was the first fruits. He was a firstborn offering. He was a perfect spotless lamb who was sacrificed to redeem us, sinful people. He was the firstborn. Now, let me just put this on the screen because this is the point I want, to, want you to take home. This is what you, if, you don't have to agree with me. You don't have to appreciate it. You don't have to practice it. You don't have to do anything. 
But if, but if you'll remember this, it might inspire you, motivate you in the future. It's very simply this. The principle of first fruits is very, very, I put two varies up there. I could have strung 30 of them. Very, 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 very. It is very, very, very powerful. It's very powerful. It's very, it's very potent. This is a secret of the kingdom of God that can release the blessing of God in people's lives. It is very important. It's the principle of the first thing, of firstborn, of first fruits. It's very powerful. I've heard it said that any first thing given is never lost. And any first thing not given is always lost. Think about that. What we give to God, we don't lose. Anything we give to God is never lost because God redeems it for us. But if we withhold it from God, we always lose it, no matter what it is. It's very powerful. Jesus said in Matthew 16, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loves his life for me will find it. Isn't that that something? So the first belongs to God, the first thing. We can give God the first of our time. We can give God the first of our gifts, our abilities, our influence, our leadership, our capacity in whatever category. We can give God the first of it. We can give God the first of our finances. That's what tithing really is all about. It's giving our first to God. It's saying, God, I'm going to give to you first and trust you to redeem the rest. I give to you first and trust you to redeem everything else. Now, let me just make another statement, which will occur to you at some point. So I'll just teach it to you now so you don't have to experience this by trial and error. I'll put it on the screen. It always requires faith to give the first. Faith is always involved. And there's a reason for this because God wants us to believe him. God wants us to trust him. God wants us to follow him faithfully. In fact, the Bible teaches us that it is impossible to please God without faith. Not that it's hard to please God or it's difficult to please God or it's really really challenging to please God without faith. The Bible actually says, no, it's impossible to please God without faith. So if you want to please God, you want to be a God pleaser, you've got to decide, I am going to live my life by faith. What does that mean? What steps do I need to take? What does that look like? I figure out what faith looks like in my life, and I start living by faith. Glory to God. I've been been inspiring myself all morning. I don't know. No one else may get a thing out of this, but I'm going to be better for it, I can tell you. Think about the flock owner who doesn't know how many more lambs that first you might produce. you got this little, beautiful little female lamb, this little ewe lamb, and she gives birth for the first time. The... The shepherd doesn't know how many sheep that that lamb's going to produce in its lifetime. It may be many, many sheep, but the, the flock owner doesn't know for sure. But God says the first time the animal's womb is opened, that offspring is, is mine, belongs to me. You either, you either sacrifice it or you redeem it with another animal by sacrificing the other animal. That's it. You either sacrifice it or redeem it. You don't keep it because the first one is mine. And 
you understand now for the guy who owns the herds, that takes faith for him because he has no promise that this ewe lamb is going to produce another sheep. No way to know. So by faith, he, he sacrifices the firstborn to the Lord. Can you feel that? This is why so few Christians experience the blessing of tithing. It means giving to God before you see if you're going to have enough. That's why tithing is so important. It's the primary way we acknowledge that God is first place in our lives. It's the same way uh, that we come to church. It's Sunday. We call it the Sabbath day, but actually Saturday is the, the original Sabbath. Sunday, people started practicing coming together as the people of faith on Sunday right after the resurrection. So Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. The reason Christians gather on Sunday to worship and celebrate the presence of God and the fellowship of his people is because we're people of the resurrection. Sunday's the day when Jesus got up out of the grave and is alive forevermore. And so that's why we gather on Sunday. And this is the first of the week for us. And it's a way of giving the Lord the first of our time. Sadly, some people think Monday is the first day of the week. You know, this is when we put deals together. This is when we make some money. This is when we get some business accomplished. Some people think that Friday is the first part of the week. That's when we partay and relax, have a good time. As God's people, though, we need to give the first part of our week to Jesus. The reason the New Testament church met on Sunday was because they're celebrating the resurrection. So we have this whole idea of first things. Now, Another way the Bible presents it is not only firstborn, but second of all, first fruits. First fruits. Look on the screen at Exodus 23, 19. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. It's not the tenth portion of your first fruits. Note it. It's the first portion of your first fruits. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, 9 and 10, if you will. Honor the Lord with your possessions. With the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. There's another so that. So obey the Lord in this area so that your barns will be filled and your vats will overflow. Some of you remember last year from the story when Joshua first entered into the land of Canaan, the land of promise, and Joshua is this military leader. And the first city that they encounter was the city of Jericho. Huge fortified walls around Jericho. Maybe you remember the story. And before they, before they were even given instructions about how to conquer Jericho, God spoke through Joshua and said, Now everything, once you conquer Jericho, all of the spoils, all of the riches in Jericho, they belong to me, says the Lord. No one is to take any of the spoils out of Jericho. They belong to me. And that was the order given before they even started the conquest of Jericho. And so we asked the question, why did the Lord say that all the silver and gold from Jericho had to be given to the Lord's house? And we know now the answer to the question, unless, if, unless you've not been listening to this sermon at all. But you know now why. It's because it was the first city. The first city conquered. Uh, the, the scripture actually, actually says, bring all the gold and silver and spoils from Jericho to my house and you can have the rest from the cities yet to be conquered. So God said, give me the first portion, the first city, 
and all the other cities you conquer, you can have the rest. But God comes first. Genesis chapter 4. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground of the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. That's always been a puzzle, hasn't it? Why did God accept Abel's animal sacrifice, but didn't receive Cain's sacrifice of harvest? And what we learn from the text is that the Bible makes clear that Abel had brought the firstborn of his flock. It's in the text. So Abel actually brought the first of his animals as an offering to the Lord, but it does not specify that Cain had brought the first fruits of his crops. And it's likely that this is the reason that God rejected Cain's offering, because it didn't come first. And there's a lesson in this for us. God is actually looking at our hearts. He's looking at our motives. He's looking at our attitudes. Could I uh, just pause here just for a moment and defend myself? Oftentimes, uh, uh, when I teach, it's, it's fairly clear to folks that I'm, a, I'm forthright. You, you don't have to wonder what I'm thinking. I mean, do you? I'm pretty straightforward. Uh, and I, and I, I know that this is how I communicate. So you don't, have to, you don't have to wonder about me. On this subject of stewardship, of tithing, of giving, time, talent, money, stuff like that, there's always opportunity, there's always rationalization for the subject because everyone has an opinion about money. All of us have, have relationship with money out of necessity. It's, a, you know, it's, 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 it's the currency that we use to go about the world. And so we have to deal with it, we have to manage it, we have to think about it, we have to have an attitude about it. And, and so oftentimes when it comes to the church, people, for good reason and not for good reason, assume attitudes, opinions about money and the church that are negative in nature. You know, that, he's talking about money again, all, he's, all he cares about is money and the church needs money, so they're trying to raise money and trying to twist my arm to get some more money. And this attitude is common. And sometimes they're for good reason, you know, because folks are, are, their arms are getting twi- twisted and it's not good. I just want you to know from my perspective, and again, I'm trying to be as forthright as I can. I've lived it with myself for a long time now. And so I, I actually know my attitude about money. Um, I don't care about it. I know that I'm probably an exception to the rule, but money is not an it just doesn't motivate me. It, it just doesn't register with me. I don't care if I have a little bit of money or I have extra money. Pretty much, <laughs> I have the same attitude all the time. I, I, I can stand before you. My wife and I, we have this testimony. We have been poor. I mean, technically, legally, <laughs> Uh, internal revenue service poor (laughs) in our lives for years. And now we're, now we're rich relatively. We have more than we need. So we've lived in the whole spectrum of experience in the world with regard to money. And, 
all the way through all of that, it, it hasn't, re- my, my money scale, just, my meter just doesn't move. It, it just, I just don't care. I don't care about it. It, it just it doesn't inspire me. It doesn't interest me. And I, and I know that for some people, it's, it's very interesting. But it's just not for me. So when, I, when I'm talking about money, and you feel me passionate about it like I am today, it's not about the money. Not for me. It's about, it's about following Jesus and having an attitude and a heart that is so inclined toward him that you're willing to do anything he asks you to do, whatever that means, whatever that takes, in order to honor and please him. And as it turns out, in this category, when we have the right attitude and the right heart toward Jesus about these things, that it actually opens the windows of heaven and provokes the blessing of God. Shazam! It's amazing. So money, money is just a means to an end. It's, it's amoral. It's not good or bad. It all depends on how you use it. If your attitude and heart is toward God and the use of your money and the stewardship of the resources God gives you, you can change eternity with it. It is so, so amazing, so powerful. Or you can just waste it, or you can invest it in evil things and you know, just hurt people with it. It's, it's, it's not about the money. It's all about our attitude and our heart and our perspective on it. And so what I'm teaching you today, listen, can be such a blessing to you. Not, not because it's about the money, but because it's what God's, God's smile comes upon, his favor rests upon it, his blessing flows as a result of it. Are, do, do you hear me? So, so understand my motive in talking about it. I know Dr. Billy Graham said it this way, when a person gets the stewardship part of their life right, just about every other area of their life gets right. It's such an important thing, so powerful. That's why we're starting Financial Peace University today. It's happening right now. Some of you need to get up and go take the class. Next, come, come at 8.30 for church next week and then stay for Faith Promise or come to Faith Promise uh, Financial Peace and then come to service at 11.30. Literally, you'll be the last person in America who has not taken Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University if you wait much longer. It's so helpful, so good, so practical, so meaningful. And it will provoke the blessing of God on your life. That's what you want. You want the supernatural power of God working for you, not against you. You say, what do you know about it? I know everything about it. I'm a living, talking, breathing example of the promises of God coming to pass in my life, in my life personally, in our life as a family, as our life in ministry. By the way, the Christmas offering this year was a new record, $152,000 for the Christmas offering. Fantastic. Amazing. We didn't need that much. Now we've got problems. We've got more money than we know what to do with Everyone say blessing. See how that works? Some of you know that if you're here, about a year and a half ago, we paid off our mortgage. We have this beautiful campus. It's 100,000 square feet, 40 acres. It's amazing. And God God gave it to us. And and a year and a half ago, we paid it all off, debt-free. Then this past June, we had to borrow another half a million dollars or so to extricate ourselves from some of the denominational mess that we were in. And so we said, yeah, dang it, but, you know, we had to borrow half a million dollars. Well, uh, on December 28th, we paid that, we paid that loan off. 
year in giving to the church was so strong that, that it, it was just that much extra. So we just paid off. So we're debt-free again, free and clear. Here we are. All of that to say, I know a little bit about what's going on in this category. I'm ignorant and naive about a lot of things, but this is not one of them. There are some things I believe and there are some things that I know. This is in the category of this. I know. I know this. I know this to be true. I know, I know how this works. And I'm teaching you today how it works. So he who has an ear, let the wise person hear. If you hear me say that, the pastor's just trying to get more money. Shame on you. Wake up. Pay attention. I'm trying to help. So... It's all about our attitude and our heart. Firstborn, first fruits. And now let's talk about, the, here's the third little piece, then we'll be done. And that's, I just want to talk about tithing, just for a moment. With all of my heart, just as I've just been trying to, to help you get perspective on, I want you to understand that, that giving for me is not legalistic. It's not compulsory. It's not following the rules. It's not, you know, doing the math and, you know, calculating to the penny what I owe God somehow. Please don't do that. Please stop it. From my heart, giving for me and for my wife and for us as a church, it's not about, it's not about following the rules or meeting some standard. This is life to us. This is life to me. This is, this is how the blessing flows. This is how the water flows. This is how the river flows in your life. This is how the refreshing of God the constant life-giving stream of God's presence in your life. This is how it works. As you give, it is given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. So th this is how you live under an open heaven. This is how the windows of heaven get open over your life, over your ministry, over your work, over your business, over your, over your family. This is how it happens. And so, and so we open our heart to these things. So when I talk about tithing, tithing your time, tithing your gifts, tithing your relationships, tithing your money, it has nothing to do with, you know, some kind of business, cold-hearted business deal with God. Nothing whatsoever to do with that. It's not about the law. This is about the relationship you have with God. Matthew 6:21. for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, so we have to connect it to our heart and our attitudes. There is a test with it when it comes to tithing. The word translated tithe literally means a tenth, one-tenth. The number 10 in the Bible has meaning. Uh, various numbers in the Bible have specific meanings. You know, the number seven, you know, is, is uh, fulfillment. Number 12 has significance because of tribes and disciples, that sort of thing. The number 10 literally in the Bible, stands for testing. Isn't that interesting? It's the number of testing. So apparently there's a test here that needs to be passed. For example, how many, how many plagues there, were there in Egypt? Ten, there were 10 plagues. How many times did God test Pharaoh's heart? He tested him 10 times. How many commandments are there? There are 10. In other words, how many ways is our obedience tested? Ten times. How many times did God test Israel when they were wandering in the wilderness? The number is ten. You have to trust me. How many times did God test Jacob's heart by allowing his wages to be changed? Remember, he's working for his future father-in-law, Laban, 
numbers of years. He keeps negotiating with Laban because he wants this, this daughter of Laban's for his wife. And so he's willing to work for years just to get this girl. Laban keeps moving the goalposts. <laughs> the number of years keep going. How many? Ten. <laughs> the pattern continues in the New Testament, Matthew 25. There are ten virgins that are, that are given a preparedness test. Ten days of testing are mentioned in Revelation 2.10. So you, you get the idea. It's the number of testing. So in Malachi 3, 8, 9, and 10, it says this. Will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for you've robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And then look at the phrase, test me now on this. I thought we were having the test. God says, yeah, I'm testing you, but now you can test me. This is the only place in the Bible where God says, test me. I'm, I'm, I'm studied up for the test. I'm ready. Test me. Test me on this one. Isn't that fascinating? Says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven, pour out so many blessings that you will not have room enough for it. There's a guy named Achan. He was in the army of Israel when Joshua led them in, into the promised land. And when the walls of Jericho fell and they conquered the city of Jericho, Achan thought, well, you know, no one will notice that I'll just take a few of the spoils for myself. And he took some of the valuables out of Jericho and buried them under his tent and the Lord, the Lord called him out. And the Bible says that he was accursed for it. Joshua 6.18. Remember the curse is supernatural powers opposed to your life. You don't want that. So we have this consecrated, blessed, or we have cursed. These two options. That's exactly what the tithe is all about throughout the scripture. The The tithe is consecrated to the Lord and for the Lord's house, but if we take it for ourselves, it becomes a curse because it's stolen. Now listen to your pastor. Put this on the screen. There are only two things you can do with the tithe. Either you can return it to God or you can steal it. That's it. Those are the two options. And we're all guilty of both sides of that. You can either return it, someone said to, or you can steal it. Someone said to us after the first service, they said, tithing for us, the light switch went on when one of our friends just one day said, oh, he said, tithing will become easier when you realize that God owns everything anyway. And for them that was, oh, the light came on. Let me tell you what you have in your hands when you're born. I've been there when babies have been born two times. They had nothing in their hands. And let me t- and I've been there many, 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 many times when people leave the world. Let me tell you what they have in their hands then. Not a thing. I still have an image of one of the saints of God in our church, beautiful woman of faith, uh, lived in her 90s, died, died a peaceful death, and she's laying there in her coffin, and we were having the service around her memorial, and her family put her in a little cotton dress, just a simple little cotton dress, because that was appropriate for her, and didn't have any shoes on, nothing in her hands. 
Come in with nothing, go out with nothing. All belongs to him. And people push back and then they say, well, this, you know, you're preaching from the Old Testament. That's the law. And we're not under the law anymore. We're under the New Testament levels of grace. And, and grace doesn't require this kind of legalistic approach to giving. Oh, well, why is it that every time Jesus pointed to an Old Testament covenant law, he also set a higher standard on the New Testament level of grace? For example, he said to some boys one day, he said, you know, the law says do not murder. And they all went, that's right. That's one of the big 10, right? Do not murder. And, you know, most people haven't committed murder. And so we say, okay, well, at least I didn't, do, didn't break that commandment. And Jesus said, but uh, I'm sorry to mention this to you, but have you, ever, have you ever been hateful toward your brother? Well, yeah. That's murder in your heart. Even though murder's not been in your hands, if it's been in your mind and it's been in your heart, you're just as guilty. What? Dang it. Then he said, you know, the law also says do not commit adultery. Okay, now watch this. He said, well, I know what adultery is. Thank God I haven't committed that. So far, so good. I'm good on adultery. And he said, um, have you ever looked at another woman with lust in your heart? shoot. <laughs> We're all guilty. We're all guilty of every point along the way. The New Testament covenant of grace doesn't lower righteous standards. It always raises righteous standards. If the Old Testament low standard was 10%, then what does the New Testament grace standard expect? Tithes and offerings. Be generous. Be lavish. God loves a cheerful giver. If you give, it'll be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Oh, New Testament is a higher standard of expectation of righteousness. Oh, okay, good to know the rules. And the New Testament says more about this. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay, you pay your tithe, but have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. So Jesus confronts these legalists one day. He said, I know you guys tithe. I mean, you're, you know, you're wealthy, so you're generous. So you, 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 know, you, you calculate 10% to the penny and you, and you contribute it. You, know, you, you pay your tithe. And Jesus basically said, big deal. You pay your tithe, but, but you, don't, you don't deal with the more weightier matters of mercy and justice and faith, the things that really matter to people caring for them and honoring them and loving them. So the New Testament standard is always, always higher. I love this story in 2 Chronicles 31. This was an occasion when the Lord commanded the people dwelling in Jerusalem to contribute the tithe uh, so that it would support the priestly class, the, the teachers of the law, the keepers of the law should be supported, and so bring in your tithe. And so people began to do it. And three months later, they had, they had brought in their tithes and they, they brought it in the form of food stocks, you know, their first fruits and, and some animals and precious things consecrated to God. And there was so much that the, that the priestly class had enough. And so they were just stacking it up on the ground. They were, they, they, the offerings were heaped up on the ground. That's the word it is used in the text, heaped up. And Hezekiah, the, the king, comes along 
And he goes, what are all these heaps on the ground? And the priest says, well, you know, the Lord commanded the people to bring their tithe. And, you know, and here it is. And all of us priests, we, we have more, uh, all that we need and more. So we're just heaping it up. It's, it's kind of like harvest season in Indiana. You know, when the grain is harvested and they fill all the bins with grain and then they have to pile it up on the ground. So it's just heaps of extra stuff all over the place. And Hezekiah was concerned. He said, well, do the people have enough? You know, he's the king responsible for everyone. And so he says, are the, are the people hurting? Are they starving? Do they have enough? I mean, they've brought so much here that maybe they don't have enough to meet their needs with their lives and families. And the, the chief priest said to him, no, no, Lord, since people have started tithing, not only, not only is the house of God blessed, but the people are blessed. They're piling up stuff at, at every individual home. Everybody who's been faithful to tithe, they've got stuff heaped up on their own property because they are blessed in every way. And he goes through this list, their crops, their children, their livestock, everything's piling up everywhere because the people have been faithful to give. Amazing, isn't it? So this passage illustrates two parallel results of giving. It blesses God's people and it brings provision into God's house. You've probably never done this. I do this frequently. I, I can only imagine what the body of Christ could accomplish in the world if every believer tithed. What would that be like? Man. If I, if I set out $10 bills, $1 bills, and I set it out in front of you, and there were 10 right in front of you, and I ask you, uh, what portion of those 10 $1 bills is the tithe? You could all answer the question. One dollar is the tithe. But if I ask a more penetrating question, which is, which of those ten dollars belongs to God? Well, after you've heard this sermon, you say, well, it's the first one. Okay, well, which one is the first one? Is it the one on the end? Is it the one on the other end? Is it the one in the middle? Which of the ten $1 bills is the first one? And the answer is, the first one is the first one you either spend or the first one you give. That's the first fruit. That's the first thing. That's putting God first. The local church is a visible manifestation of God's bride. Say, for example, I had to go away. And I picked three men. And I said to those three men, I'm going to give each of you $10,000 a month while I'm gone. And I want you to keep $9,000 of that, do whatever you want with it. But $1,000 of that 10, I want you to give to my wife to make sure she's cared for, to make sure there's food in my house. And after I was gone for three months, I called Beth and I say, how, how are you doing? She said, I'm doing well. How are my friends doing? And she would say, well, friend number one has given me $1,000 each of the last three months, as you requested. The second friend has given me $2,000 each month for the last three months. And she said, your third friend gave me $800 the first month, $300 the second month, and didn't give me anything last month. Now, as the, as the owner, as the father, as the, as the husband, what am I going to do with my three friends? 
Jesus told a parable that had essentially the same ratio. What does the landowner do after he's been away and entrusted three friends with his assets in order to make sure his, his affairs, the things most precious to him, his family, so that there's food in the house? And Jesus said to the one who has been faithful, more will be given. This is Matthew 25. Everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And so what you can expect from the steward, from God, is the first guy who's been faithful to give $1,000 to the house is going to keep getting the $10,000. The second guy who's been giving more than expected, $2,000 every month, the landowner says, I'm going to take the $10,000 from the third guy because I can't trust him for anything. He's not a good steward. He's not reliable. He's not trustworthy. He's not faithful. So I take the $10,000 from the third guy and I give that extra $10,000 to the second guy. So the first guy gets $10,000 every month. The second guy now gets $20,000 a month because he's reliable. In fact, he's generous. And so it goes. And let me just remind you, God doesn't change. There are people in our world today who think God's constantly changing the rules, constantly changing the standards, constantly changing the expectations, that God is constantly changing his mind, that he's constantly wavering, that he's constantly equivocating, that he doesn't expect as much from people as he used to expect, that some things God called, used to call sin, he doesn't call that sin anymore. He looks the other way. He winks at sin. He's a, he's a tiny little God and he's shrinking every day. He's getting smaller and smaller and accommodating equivocating. People think that God is constantly changing, that his truth is changing, that absolutes are changing, that his boundaries and his expectations are changing. And I'm here to tell you today that God does not change. Neither does his standards change. He is an immutable God. And the God that you began a good faith in is the same God you can expect to complete that faith in you. He is the cornerstone. He is the foundation. You can stand there. Everything else in the world can be shaken, but the kingdom of God will not be shaken because our God is faithful. God doesn't change. Tithing remains an extraordinary opportunity for blessing and abundance for those with the faith to trust him. And so here we are. I've made the point that God must be first. First place. First fruits. Firstborn. And a generosity of giving, which releases the blessing of God, the supernatural provision, power of God for you, toward you, with you. Isn't that great? So he who has an ear, let him hear. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word, how clear it is. We, we, we call these things secret things. It's, uh, it's a misnomer. It's not secret. It's right in front of us. It's so obvious, so clear. So help us to see, help us to hear, and give us the faith, the boldness we need to apply the things we've learned to the end that good gets done and you get glory, and indeed we find your blessing. Thank you, Lord, for all of these things. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Would you stand with us?